Let's talk a bunch of different topics. How her career get there. This is a podcast with Lauren Ascari. This is the Lauren Asgari podcast, How'd Her Career Get There? And my guest today is Jennifer Ariane DeRay, who is the CEO of ATN Entertainment. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm excited. <laughs> Absolutely. Thrilled, thrilled to have you and to, uh, and to get into it. So um, let's start just maybe with a, a quick overview. Um, what is ATN Entertainment? So ATN, it stands for All Together Now Entertainment, and it actually is, uh, it's morphed into the entertainment part because I used to manage and work with musicians, bands, and stuff like that. So I had ATN management. And then when I got into the, the actor side, I decided to, you know, just allow for a larger umbrella if that were going to be the case. So made it into entertainment. But yeah, we're, we manage um, actors, writers, directors, producers, and we do manage some musicians, but in that case, they're actors first and or half and half. So I'm not, I don't have any just strictly musicians any longer. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Well, we're going to get into what inspired you to do this business and, um, We'll get into that later. But for starters, let's go back to um, Jennifer as a little girl. Just give some kind of context, you know, where you grew up, uh, only child. Did you have siblings? What were you like as a kid? Okay. Um, so it's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty different story than most. Um, my parents and another couple helped to start a boarding school in Oregon. Um, and so I was there, my parents worked there and I was there from age four to 17. Um, we had about 3,500 acres of land. There was horseback riding and, you know, mud and ponds and running around in the forest. And so, um, that was an amazing, I mean, I would not trade that for the world. It was amazing. So I grew up in Oregon, uh, in a small town called Sheridan outside of Portland, about an hour and a half outside of Portland. Um, I, what kind of kid was I? I was very tall. <laughs> so like a lot of the pictures is like kids and then, whoa, who's that, you know, big bird lady kid in the, in the back. Um, so yeah. And I was, I was just very outdoorsy. I, I, you know, I've found the difference between me and some other um, people who grew up in a different way, you know, scared of spiders. I, I'm like, I'll get it. What is it? I'll put it outside. You know, I have a lot of the, just being outdoors all the time. So, and learning about a lot of, you know, we had one class where we had this really thick book that we would go out and we would walk around in the environment and find everything you know, like, oh, there's that tree. Oh, that's a whatever, whatever. So I feel like I was fully immersed in just outdoorsness. So that was amazing. I know that's not a word, but, um, <laughs> so, um, and yeah. And I got heavily into horseback riding. I, I taught Western and English towards the end, you know, not when I was uh, six or anything, but when I was, um, you know, probably 13, to 17, I was helping like teach horseback riding up there. And were you, uh, did you have siblings or only child? I'm, I am an, well, hard to say. I'm an only child. My mom's only child. Um, my dad 
my biological father had kids before my mom has had many after, um, he's not totally in my life, but, um, I have a wonderful dad who has been around since I was like five. So he's like fully my dad. Um, but yeah, as far as like our little family, it's just me and my parents. And then, so as a, as a kid, very, um, outdoorsy, what do you remember? Like little Jennifer, like age seven, picking an arbitrary number. What did you think as I grow up or when I grow up, I want to do this? So this is a really interesting, I was just, I just remembered and, and was telling a friend this yesterday. So, um, if we can say nine, I have a better story for that. Um, so I really, I really didn't have any kind of moment by moment thought about what I was going to do. I think I was really excited about outdoor stuff, of course. So like there was part of me that just wanted to do anything and everything with animals. Um, I was also into archeology span really young. I thought that would be amazing. I even did an internship where we're like finding things and, um, un, you know, uncovering things. And, um, but at nine and I didn't, no, I didn't remember this moment till way later. Um, I wrote myself a note and I just said, when I grow up, I want to work with artists and I want to manage people, which is so bizarre because I don't, I don't remember having any understanding of what managing artists, <laughs> like that, that was even a job. I don't, so, um, but I found this after I was, um, I was in my band management phase of life and I found that in my little nine-year-old handwriting, which was just still, I can't even believe it. Cause like I said, I had no, I don't think I knew that, that people could, you know, be managed as artists or whatever. I mean, consciously or whatever. So, <laughs> so, um, but what was crazy was I didn't remember any of that until later in life. And, um, there was, I don't remember how old I was. It was probably like 12 or 13 or something. And we would do musicals at my school. So I was in them and I didn't have any, like, it's really weird. When I look back, I didn't have any uh, memory of going, Oh, I'm, I'm kind of good at this thing <laughs> or, Oh, this is not good. I don't. So I know that I enjoyed it but I also felt like I kind of enjoyed the acting part of it too. And it was just fun stuff to do. And, um, my softball coach after one of our musicals walked up to me and he goes, you know, I think this is something that you might be like, end up doing or be really good at. This is something you should stick to it. Um, his name is George Hancock. Um, and he, so, that was, and, and funnily enough, that was kind of a moment for me of like, oh, almost like a, a realization that I kind of have to think about what I'm going to do, <laughs> you know, <in> my life, <laughs> whatever. So, uh, but that was a really significant, that was a really significant moment. So I think that that kind of, those things helped to guide me, even though kind of at an unconscious, like subconscious level. Yeah. But, yeah. So there was something to it. But then, um, after I wrote that note to myself, I just kind of continued being a kid and then, you know, and then realized later that I had set out to do that, I guess. It's interesting when you say that, because I, I always like wonder like what the, what the moment is or one of the moments, it sounds like you had, you and George Hancock had one there that like somebody yeah. says something that then just leaves an impression on you and then kind of forever resonates with you. Like you were, how old when that happened? 
I, I think I was probably about tw- 12, maybe. Yeah. Said that. Yeah. So a kid that then it resonates with you. Yeah. For the rest of your life. I think that's yeah. just so cool. Yeah. And it, I do remember having that moment of like, oh, cool. Like, you know, and I think too, it just has to do with art, like recognition by someone outside of yourself that something could be something cool. And then it, it kind of just adds weight to it. And you, you, it kind of fixes itself in your, mm-hmm. you know, in your data banks or whatever. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. And, and so then, okay. So then you go back to being a kid, like there's a couple of things that happened that were, you know, it kind of now looking back on it, you're like, Oh, that makes sense. But at the time you're just living your life as a kid. So fast forward a little bit. Um, but you know, you turn, I'm picking again, an arbitrary date, 18. Did you go to college? Did you not go to college? Did you start working? Like what happened that kind of started you down any sort of a career path? Yeah. So I actually, um, I decided to go, my, my real father had a consulting type business in San Francisco and he wanted me to come work with him and spend time with him. This is the first time that it was kind of like, Hey, come be with me as your, you know, as your dad. Um, I don't want this to be the common theme throughout our podcast here, but anyway, so I resonates with people too, though. Sorry to cut you off with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so we, uh, we had the discussion. Um, I don't know how to turn that noise off. Just, (laughs) um, I, um, so we had that talk. It it ended up being, uh, here's the thing. I don't have regrets. I really don't. I don't look back and go, Oh, if I could have. So, but if I, if I had to say the one, it was that I left school before I graduated. So I left about eight months before I graduated. You're in high school or college? High school. Okay. So at 17, I was, I was going to graduate that. I think I left in, I left the school in like, maybe it was December of 80, was it 86, something. I, I left when I was 17 and it was eight months before I was going to graduate. So, um, I, um, so I shouldn't have done that because I'd been there since I was four and I could have just graduated. Hey, you know, and of course, looking back eight months, is just like, Oh, geez, who cares? But at the time it's all relative, right? You're yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah. So, so I basically, uh, I ended up moving to San Francisco and I, um, I lived with my real dad and I, I worked with his company and, um, and then I actually, there was a, larger, better position that was in LA. So I moved to LA while I was 18. Um, just working, working. I didn't have any kind of artistic leanings or anything. I was just kind of like doing a normal job. Like, what Um, are you doing? Are you like filing papers? Are you picking up? No, I mean, I was actually, yeah. I mean, I did a lot of just kind of the inside work, you know, normal, like that filing, answering phones, stuff like that, keeping schedules of some of the executives who would like go out and consult people on their businesses and stuff like that. And literally the impetus was I wanted to spend time with my real dad. That mm-hmm. was it. So, um, you know, which people can understand that. <laughs> like <laughs> really a life of, of wanting that and not having it and da da da. And then you were like, Ooh, cool. Here's an opportunity. Um, so 
so then I decided, I kind of had some realizations about that whole thing. Like, did that meet your, did that meet your expectations and get from it what you wanted to? Well, I have to say, um, in the negative and the positive. So I did end up spending time. I did realize that changing my entire life to spend time didn't make sense. Um, you know, I mean, I'm older now, so I have a lot more life experience to plug into all of that, but obviously, you know, and again, I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday, just how interesting it is that like the genetic, the dad person, the whatever holds so much weight when sometimes logically it doesn't make sense, you know, like just as people to people, whatever, like, Oh, okay. Well, it's not bringing me a lot of joy. Like why am I holding on to it? I mean, these are just age old questions, but it's, it was just, it's an interesting thing that like the dad person holds so much, you Mm -hmm. know, when it really comes down to it, it's kind of like, okay, well, they had sex and then I, you know, like, okay, logistically, you know, um, yeah. Like the benefit, like the, the actual, what you gain from any human and just because, you know, they happen to on the Oregon org chart be in the dad box doesn't necessarily mean that that's your, your person where you want to drive value or relationship from. Right. And so it's kind of like, I feel like in the beginnings part of my life, there was just this kind of, again, this subconscious, like, oh, I have to do these things that make sense because that's my dad, you know? So, um, anyway, so in a way I got over enough of that where I was like, peace out. I'm not Mm -hmm. doing this anymore. Like I, so then I went to the East coast and I was living with my mom and dad. Um, and then I kind of got to the, I'll tell you the pinnacle moment. I was at a job interview with Macy's in the linen department (laughs) and this woman was lovely and she was really into it. And she's like, Oh, you know, you're great. And I know the reason that she thought I was great was because I kind of had that thing where I didn't totally care, but she could tell that I was present and smart and whatever. So she's like, Oh, I think this is great. Let's start right away. And she brought me over to the towels and started teaching me how to fold the towels. And I was like, you know, I mean, everything flash. I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, you know what? I am so sorry that I wasted your time, but there is no way that I'm doing this job. And I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sure you'll find someone. And literally I went home. I called my friend who lived in LA, who we'd gone to school together. And I said, Hey, the only way that I'm going to be able to make this happen is if you and your parents are down to kind of be my people in LA and they were like, 100%. The other side of that is that when she came to the school, she lived with me and my family, kind of a work-study mm-hmm. situation so that she could go to school. So it all made sense. And then... Um, and Context, then when, how old are you-ish at this point? I am um, I'm late 18. Okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Okay. So, um, so then my parents got back from uh, work that day and I go, okay, guys, so... I'm moving to Los Angeles. I'm, you know, this is what I have to do. I can't, like I did the interview thing and I'm like, I was like, I got to get out of here. So, <laughs> excuse me. So, um, yeah. So then, so then, and they were cool. They understood. They knew the family, you know what I mean? So it, was, it wasn't mm-hmm. just like off to wherever you're going to go. Um, 
And so, yeah. So then I, I moved to LA and I stayed with them for a while till I got my own apartment. But that year is when my dance started. So in April, um, I think it was, yeah, in the summer or something is when the band started that I ended up being in close to eight years. So, um, yeah, so that's what got me to LA was just not wanting to be in the linen department of Macy's on the East Coast. So, so yeah, and draw, I, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, just, just the other thing is that a lot of, because of the, the location of the boarding school, there were a lot of kids who actually had come from Los Angeles to go to the boarding school, then come back. So I had, you know, I had a a really solid base of, of super cool people my age that, so it kind of felt like I wasn't just out there with like no support system or floating. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So give some, um, because I want to get to a whole bunch of, diff- of of different questions, but I want to make sure I'm providing a timeline here. So give yeah. kind of a, a abbreviated version of the, the band to the entertainment industry to ATN. Like, how does that progress? And I know I'm asking you to like squeeze a lot in, you know. A- oh, no. I mean, I, yeah, it's fine. So I, so basically I was, I was the lead singer of bands for about 12 and a half years, starting in 1989. Um. During that time, of course, I had to have a bunch of other jobs and, you know, I mean, that's, that didn't pay the bills. So, um, but I do have to say the first band I was in, we were really, um, and again, this was all hindsight because I'd never, I didn't know what to compare. We, I didn't have anything to compare our experience to. So, I mean, we had a publishing deal. We had Randy Jackson was one of our guys that was really excited about our band. He was with Sony. We were, we had our publishing deal with Sony. We recorded our whole record at Sony entertainment, like the studios um, over in Santa Monica. That's awesome. That's super cool. Yeah. And then, and then the, the staff engineer who just basically manned their studio, we were the first full length record that he produced. Um, and he went on to just, his name is Mark Endert and he's done like Maroon 5, like he did Matt and I, I'm not up on his career now, but if I could, uh, I would bet my life that he is just still completely killing it and doing amazing things in that space. But we were his first, um, full length record. Um, there's a guy named Chuck Plotkin who basically did all the Springsteen records and he had just started being um, in, in A&R, like a talent scout for Sony. And he wanted us to be his first sign. Uh, that didn't go the way we all wanted it to, but no problem. Um, what was your sound like? Just for like, like what was the we, we were kind of, Yeah, we were kind of a 90s uh, Fleetwood Mac. That's what people oh, reference. Yeah. Love it. A lot of... <laughs> A lot of harmonies. Um, we kind of had a bit of a, you know, obviously we weren't Fleetwood Mac, so we had our own kind of, you know, there was a folky side, a funky side. We started getting a bit harder, but not in the realm of like, you know, go raw, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, and and I was kind of the, um, I was kind of the Stevie Nicks one, mm-hmm. um, and Natalie Watry, who's just genius, genius level. Um, she was, she kind of had like a Janis Joplin, Melissa Etheridge, like a raspy, amazing tone. Um, and the, the difference between the two is she kind of came out the womb that way, you know? And I'm like, 
what's my signature? You know, I was just like, I know I have pitch and I can like, you know, (laughs) over time I kind of had to figure out who I really was and what my, you know, why I would stand out from anyone who just has a cool voice or Mm -hmm. a voice, you know, solid, technically good voice. So, um, yeah, but I mean, man, that was seven and a half years of life and we, we toured and we, we did, we, we opened for Polly Shore. <laughs> oh yeah. That was amazing. See, it's funny too. Cause our manager at the time brought it to us and we were like, there's so many things that we were just weird about that. Now I look back and I'm like, that's just ego. And yeah, sure. Off. Like, so, um, like our manager presented this, he and Polly had been friends for a really long time. He shared our record with Polly and Polly became a fan of like loving what we were doing. So our manager came to us and said, Hey, so Polly would like you to go out on the road with him, you know, and right away us being young and stupid or whatever, we were like, Oh, that's not, we're not doing that. That's not our thing. You know? And so and so then he said, okay, well, the, just so you know, the smallest uh, number of people that would see is 900 and the largest is about 11,000. And I, we were like, well, hold a moment. <laughs> so, you know, and back to great, that's fantastic. And then of course we ended up going on the road and loving every second of it, loving being with Polly. He's, he was just an amazing dude. He was so quirky in his own human, which is of course, that's what you would expect. Yeah, sure. So the year before spin doctors had gone out with him Uh and we started our tour. Spin doctors were gigantic. Yeah. Amazing. So on the first night, I'll never forget this. Polly walks into where we are and he goes, Hey, just want to let you know that uh, last year at this time, Spin Doctors, uh, you know, their first show, uh, they got booed off the stage. Have a great one. Walks out. And we're like, what? You know, (laughs) it's just totally his personality and whatever. And we didn't get booed off the stage. Thank you very much. But we, so we toured with him a bit. We also um, opened for Modern English. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, it's like you have this preconceived notion of stuff, then you actually get in there and you start doing it and you're like, oh, this is amazing. Like we're, you know, we're touring where it doesn't matter who we're opening for. And it actually ended up being a really fun, great experience also. So, um, so segue from, yeah, from, so you're in a band, how does that wind down to then go into what you're doing now? Yeah. Okay. So uh, this part will be faster because the 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 that band we were called the Extinct. Um, that was kind of like pinnacle music related moment in my life. That's awesome, by the way. Yeah, it was it was pretty fantastic, and we had some cool stuff too. Like we we shared rehearsal space with Stone Tumble Pilots. We were we were kind of in that area. Like we were playing the with with Incubus, no doubt. Alien Ant Farm, Drama Rama. We played with Agent Orange. Um, anyway, so that was kind of like our time, basically. Yeah. Um, so, so that was seven and a half years. The day that band broke up, the next day, I started another band with the bass player and the drummer from the, the Extinct. 
we added a bass player and our bass player switched to guitar. So then we had a four piece where I was just the lead singer. That was totally like, I mean, it was so much fun, but it wasn't, you know, we would play and people would love it slash go, uh, what are they doing? Because it was just, it was very much different. It was super different than the band before. The band before mm-hmm. was like great harmonies, four, four time, just normal kind of, you know, regular song structure. This was like, oh my God, like experimental, weird time signatures and all kinds of, you know. Were you digging it? Was it like checking your creative boxes of what you wanted to do? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, learning to sing in odd, with, odd time signatures is its own monster. And, and it was cool because there was, I went from something that was very much one thing into something that was very much another thing. And we just had a blast we recorded. We had fun. We just wrote songs, however we wanted. We didn't need to care about, you know, structure stuff that was called three man engine, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is basically three men and Jen. So, so that was about four and a half years. Um, so even during the first band, the extinct, I was like, I was having all of this life experience, this band experience, and we had friends that were bands. So it, it was just an organic thing where I started sharing, oh, well, if you blah, blah, you know, like just sharing our experiences with other bands. And I started realizing like how fun and cool that was just to be able to help basically. That was, um, so towards the end of the band, I actually started managing a, another band. Um, and so that kind of continued through my, the second band, three man engine. So I, I started, but that was kind of when I started building into like managing bands, working with other musicians and just doing what I could to kind of help out. So, uh, when the last band broke up, I started like, okay, this is what I'm doing now. I'm a band manager. And mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so, and it went, you know, and there were specific successes. I, I had a band called King Vitamin that I managed, um, which amazing. I loved them. They were so creative and so wonderful. Um, so King Vitamin, and then I started managing a band called the Hanks, which I managed them for a full eight years. And actually I found them because I went to one of the, an alumni weekend up at my high school, the boarding school. And when some people would come back, you would do little seminars on like, Hey, I'm in the music business or whatever. And so there were two kids in that seminar. Let me know if I'm like going. No, 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 no. You're good. You're good. So there, there were two kids in the, um, in the little seminar. I mean, literally it was like 12 people, you know, like kids. (laughs) I mean, our student body was ridiculously small. All right, all right. Our, our first graduating class was one human. Second graduating <laughs> class was zero. Like, I'm talking tiny. That is tiny. That is yeah. tiny. So I'm doing this, and this one kid, super cutie pie, who's still a, an amazing friend of mine, uh, he kept raising his hand and asking cute questions. And some of them were, like, totally valid. Some of them were just, like, just him being fun and funny, whatever. Yeah. After that, he came up to me and said, "Hey, so uh, we're uh, we're playing the talent show later. Wondering if you would uh, come down and listen to our sound check." I'm like, "Oh my god, this is..." You know, I was just so I don't know. It was just so cute and so awesome and so yeah. like, 
go ask the person the question that you (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh so uh his Brian Harris and so he approached me and it was just again it was just super cute I'm like hell yeah I'll come down check and so I went and I was like oh my god these like this is some seriously cool stuff that they're doing and of course, at this time, way after I went to school, they have a recording studio downstairs. They're like, you know, they're all set up to really help all the students create art. And yeah, do- yeah. Amazing. So I left with a four song EP that they had recorded at the school. And, um, and before, I, before I left, I just said, hey guys, when you guys graduate, if you're like still doing the band thing and you're excited and you happen to be moving to Los Angeles, hit me up because I feel like you guys are really fantastic and I would love to work with you. So when they graduated, they looked, you know, they, we hooked up and I started managing them. So I managed them for eight years um, and they had two records. They toured the U S like nine times. They were like, they were killing it. And they were an amazing, amazing band. How do you, so how do you go from managing bands to managing other talent to then not managing as much many bands? Well, it was very, it, there, it was a severed tie the way Inten- that I, intentionally. Yeah. Very intentionally. So I got to the point with the on the music side where it was just such a different industry than when I started. And I knew that it was progressing and I knew that it was becoming these new, you know, whatever, uh, this, this new universe. But um, so, and I also, I had an epiphany moment during the music management part, which was if I do my job well, then the people that I'm managing are going to be more and more in the spotlight, the forefront of everything. People are going to listen to what they have to say philosophically, politically, you know, spiritually, Mm -hmm. everything. And if, if that message from that artist is not helping the world be a better place, then that is partially my responsibility because I worked my butt off to get them to that place. Mm -hmm. And, right, wrong, indifferent, <laughs> people listen to people that are in the spotlight in any way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, so I kind of had the epiphany moment of that. And I'm like, okay, well, that's what, really- what, what, what was that? And you don't have to name specific names necessarily, but was there a moment that you observed it with somebody that you were managing or you observed it just, you know, I did from afar? I- yeah, I did observe it with a, with an act that I was managing. Where when I first started managing them, um, I knew that the singer, just like to the core, a good person, but the outward, you know, the empathy, kindness, love for all others in ahead of himself in a way wasn't where I felt like it needed to be. Mm-hmm. But I was, oh, okay, well, but we can work, you know, we can make that better and you know, so I was kind of into that mode and then I got pretty deep in and it hadn't changed in a way it had actually gotten worse. So that was kind of my epiphany moment. I was like, okay, well, if I'm participating in this person's life and I am a representative of them and then therefore they represent me too. Sure. It just was like, okay, I need to, I need to like, lean into this, dig in and, and really, um, cultivate the type of human that I want to be working with 
uh, I mean, cultivate, cultivate my idea of who I want to be working with and then kind of set the bar. Yep. Where I hadn't set the bar before specifically, you know, obviously I'm not like, yeah, there's, there's some line. <laughs> you had some, some boundaries or standards or whatever. Yeah, of course. Exactly, of course. Exactly, exactly. So, um, so at that point I, I stopped managing, um, that band and I was very vocal about why, because I didn't want to just leave it in the, in a gray area. Mm-hmm. And, and then, and so I, how do you go to other talent? How do you then just start this yeah. path of other talent? So, so basically all during, I guess the last probably four years of me working with musicians, I had a really close friend, have still a friend, but I had a really close friend who was an actor and he kept saying like, you should work with actors. And I think it partially just had to do with, you know, conversations that I would have with him about the bands I was managing. Also him hearing me on the phone with the bands I was managing just, just the vibe of all of that, that he perceived of me. So, um, it was just really good timing. Cause it was kind of at the point where I was like, okay, I'm not going to manage that band anymore. I, um, you know, being an independent manager too, like I had had a few offers from companies to join up with them, but I just didn't want to do the like cubicle and here's the bands you have to care about and work with. I just, Mm -hmm. I knew that I would not survive. I would not, (laughs) I wouldn't be able to do that. I wouldn't be, you know, happy and enjoying my life. So, um, so it was kind of just right around the time when I made those decisions, like, okay, well maybe it's not, you know, maybe music isn't where I need to be. I know I need, I want to, and need to be working with artists, people who create things, whatever that is. And then my friend, right, you know, time coincidence, mm-hmm. you know, you should really check out managing actors. Um, so I had no idea what, I mean, I, you know, management is something that I knew. I knew the job of it. I also had had quite a few um, executive assistant, personal assistant type jobs, you know, as my day job throughout that whole time. So mm-hmm. You know, and when you're working with someone who also who is a celebrity, you have to be like 25 steps ahead. There can't even be the tiniest mistake of anything. And, you know, you get such a broader perspective of what needs to go down to make sure that everything is streamlined and awesome for that person that you're working for. So mm-hmm. um, in addition to the man, the band management stuff and those executive assistant positions, I was like, okay, I know how to do this general job, but now it's just the specifics. So, uh, one of the things that you have to do when you get breakdowns, which is the whole, you know, lays out all of the roles that come out from casting on a daily basis, moment by moment, um, you need to get three people to say like, you know, basically like, uh, no, she's not crazy. And she, you know, whatever they say, um, you know, I've worked with this person, they're good at whatever. So because of my experience working with these, uh, some of these celebrities, I had those contacts. Like Mm -hmm. I was kind of the, the via on some of the stuff, like the manager would contact me to make sure that the, you know, their talent would be there on time, all that stuff. So, so I got those letters done and I got breakdowns. And at the time, I think it was like, I don't know. It it wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was kind of like, it was a monthly, you know, it's like, okay, money's going out. And at the time I just had my one friend who (laughs) 
manage my one person apartment with, uh, you know, so, so very quickly I had 11 clients and I had some, uh, you know, just beginner's luck, I would say, cause I really didn't know exactly what I was doing. I remember I had to, um, I was instant messaging with a, a, an actor manager that I had met when I was closing a deal. Like I got my clients, a couple guest stars. Um, but I was like, okay, cool. What, you know, typing, like what's a honey wagon. What's a, <laughs> like, Cause I just had no idea about this stuff. So, um, you know, and also like they offered this, what should I do? And ugh. so, you know, I got a little assistance that way. Um, one thing I realized right away is that being in LA and being a manager of actors was night and day compared to being a music manager. Like I just started not telling anybody what I did because it was such a huge influx of like, Oh, I, I have my resume and my bag and you know, all of that here. For actors or for music? For actors. No. Oh. Polar opposite with band management. Yeah. I would tell people what I did and they would be like, that's a job. <laughs> yes. It's a very intense, <laughs> crazy level, blood, sweat, and tears job, by the way. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, that thing that you didn't think was a job. My whole life is that. So. Right. <laughs> but, on the actor management side, it's just like, oh my gosh. I mean, so, you know, in the beginning stages too, I went from one client to 11, but the uh, nine of the other 10 were just like, oh, you're fun. Let's see what we could, you know, it, I mean, you know, the meeting was about 30 seconds. Like, uh-huh. oh, you oh, great. Let's do this. So, you know, now it's much different than that, but, um, so the segue exactly. In, so that's where, that's how I started was just in my apartment, breakdowns, having some people that I was submitting every day and hoping I could figure out what I needed to do as I went along. So, but the segue to it becoming a bit more professional, um, the final remnant, which kind of belittles it of my music side was I continued doing my music showcasing during South by Southwest, which I did for nine years in a row. So, you know, I would, I would request all this music. I would hear all this, these bands and I would determine who's going to play what slot in my, cause I had a venue during South by Southwest. So I continued doing that, but late 2008, which is when, like I started the management side in the beginning of 2008, uh, the actor management. Um, so late in the year, the sponsor that I had for my showcasing completely fell out. And we're talking like 35 to 40K that I would have to get sponsored. Come up with, yeah. So that was gone. And I was like, oh my God, like what? You know, and, and so I was like, okay, well, I already have bands like confirmed. So I'm not, I can't just not do my showcase. So I reached out to that same person who helped me, like talked me through the <laughs> booking. Um, and I said, Hey, I have 11 clients. I really am excited about the actor management stuff, of course, but I have to save my showcase. So will you just look at my roster and see if there's anyone you might want to, you know, cause I'm trying. So, cause heading into pilot season too, which at that point, now I understand that it doesn't matter because the people that I was managing weren't ready for pilots. They weren't going to like book pilots necessarily. Right. So 
Um, but she said, okay, we'll take all of them. Once you save your showcase and that's all smooth and you're, you know, you're back in LA from, um, Austin, let's just have a meeting and determine what we're going to do. So that all came to pass. And then I started working at that company after I got back. Um, so I was there for six and a half years. I, I started as, um, senior vice president and then I went to executive vice president. Um, and then in 2000, late 2015 is when I decided to start my own company. And so that's when I left and started ATN entertainment. And what is the best part about your job? Oh man. Um, you know, it's interesting because I have been, I, I'm, I'm not going to use the word lucky because I just feel like, you know, there's too much, <laughs> too many dark times and blood, sweat and tears to call that luck. But, um, I literally, I mean, I'm, I wake up every morning, right. And I, I'm just excited about everything that I get to do that day. And it's every day. So, I mean, and, and because I know how all the little grunt work, who cares stuff ends up flowing into the stream of like success and stuff that matters. Yeah. Yeah. I actually don't. And it's just been, I think it's just been my perspective since I was in the band, you know, in my band myself, it's like, uh, flyers or what, but you know, that it's, it's getting you the, you know, to where you want to go. So, um, I mean, I have, I have fun things. I, I, I love finding, um, a new client that I'm just really excited about and, and, um, you know, kind of feeling that there's something really cool and special there and being able to then action that, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's, so, so that's a really, that's a really great part. I mean, you know, a client's first co-star that they book is amazing. It's an amazing, joyful moment that is fantastic. I mean, obviously all the way up, you know, I have to say that, um, just recently, one of our clients just booked like their life changing gig. That's just amazing. And I've been working with her close to eight years. I mean, uh, we haven't announced it in the trade yet, so I don't want to. S- oh, when is this? When is this airing or whatever? Uh, this will probably be two weeks from now. So, yeah. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna like keep it on the whatever. Okay, but, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, um, but yeah. So I mean, and this was eight years in the making. Um, she manifested this exact gig, which is just proof that you know there's more to life than just working hard. And I mean, there's an expansion of that. Um, so yeah, so, so that, I mean, obviously that's huge. When we started working together eight years ago, she, all we had, pardon me, all we had was like her amazing talent and her amazing drive and her ability to know exactly who she is and how she fits into this. And that it's the only thing, you know, there was no plan B, all the things. Um, you know, and then at that time, someone like me who just believed in her and was still learning what the hell I was supposed to be doing, <laughs> you know, I mean, cause it's, it's a constant, you know, you're constantly just learning new things and, and expanding what you're able to do. But I think, um, so, so yeah, I mean, just, just the fact that I wake up and I'm like, okay, cool. I know what my to-do list is. It's some stupid stuff. It's stuff that like, okay, I have to 
talk to those guys and that's not going to be happy and fun, but I'm, <laughs> you know, or whatever, like, um, but it's, yeah. So it's finding, it's finding new talent that I'm excited about. It's the first booking. It's the second booking. It's the 18th booking. It's the, you know, it's, it's, um, I also experience a lot of joy when my clients are able to go do amazing things based on acting as the core, you know, mm-hmm. like one of my clients went and stayed in East Africa to shoot some cool thing at a resort. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, I've seen pictures of her hotel room, which is just like this expansive whatever with a gym and, you know, like all these things where I was, I'm just like, that is so amazing that I have been able to help and contribute to these guys being able to just travel and experience the world and do all this stuff. Um, but based on their talent and their acting ability and their hard work that got them there. Um, and, and we've totally expanded into the production side too. So it's like, we're going to start being able to have something to do with the narrative, like what needs to be out there and communicated to people and why and all of that. So that side is amazing and, and very new in the big picture of how long I've been doing this. So um, so it, it sounds like I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth or, but if I'm, if I'm kind of paraphrasing, I mean, it sounds like you get super passionate about number one, doing all the little stuff, the grunt, you know, your words, the grunt work, the dirty work, like it actually can be energizing for you because you know that everything has a purpose yeah. flowing up to what matters and the end and the, you know, cherry on top is that in, in your corner of the universe, I mean, you're helping to change somebody's life to accomplish their dreams. Right. I mean, absolutely. What's the, I mean, one thing that I tell, um, when I'm meeting with potential new actors and stuff, um, I remember there was, there was somebody that I worked with in the past that was like, Hey, you know, we're not curing cancer here, you know? And I, you know, (laughs) I would always have the thought like that is true. We're not curing cancer, but we are having the, we, we have the ability to have an amazingly huge impact on someone's life. Someone who since five or six years old was like, this is what I'm doing. There's no plan B. This is all I ever want to do. So the fact that we're able to contribute to that and make some, you know, and then it, I mean, the, the, the trick, I mean, the ripple effect is amazing. Right? I was, yeah, I was literally just going to say that hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Cause it's not just this one human who gets to accomplish whatever it's like that affects their family that affects their, the future generations of their family that affects every single person. And this is where it kind of comes down to what I was saying before. It affects every single person who ever hears them speak about mm-hmm. anything, you know? So it's like, it, it is, it can create, you know, can it, it can affect change, just us doing the type of job that needs to be done for the artist in that capacity. So. Well, and then, and then when you're talking about, I mean, actors, I mean, you're talking about some extension or producing, right? Some ver- it's all of it's some, connected to storytelling, which then has emotions and response. People have human emotions or responses to whatever those stories are. Those actors are acting, whether it's you're making me laugh, you're making me cry. Like they're all playing some role in that, which then sets off people's mood and emotion, you know, hopefully in a positive way or makes them feel things. I mean, I, I, the ripple effect, you said it, I'm like such a believer of that. And you, 
you nailed it. You nailed awesome. it. What's yeah, the, I mean, the other oh, thing, negative emotion can also, you know, create an, a, an emotional response that creates some kind of, you know, so it's like the, an actor's ability to impact someone with emotion is it's incredibly important and incredibly huge. And, you know, I mean, sports and entertainment are the things that bring the most number of people together for a common cause, you know, for a common intention, a common excitement, common love, whatever it is. So it's like being able to just affect people in that way is, is immense. And it's so important. So it's kind of like, you know, that whole thing of like, oh, we're not curing can't like, that's true because we're not curing cancer, but we are contributing to something that can make a human happen. connection. You're talking, it's a, it's a human, a human connection, whether it is forged by, to your point, you know, like pain or ne- like, not, I don't want to call it a negative emotion, an emotion that makes you feel pain or an emotion that makes you laugh or whatever it is. It is still a human connection that you're experiencing yeah. and other people connect with that, which I, I, mean, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. And that's the basis of like fandom and all of that. And obviously it can go to a kooky place, just like everything in life. But, you know, and that's, and to me, whether people want to say like, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just an actor or you're just an actor. Shut up about your views. Like there's all that stuff, which again, I can understand that people, you know, there are people who don't want to be preached to about anything and that's totally their right. But there is an inherent responsibility from my perspective that comes along with what any actor knows they're getting into because it's, you know, when an actor starts doing this and they start having some successes or maybe even before they have any success, there is something where they go, I want to be there. Yeah. You're a public figure of some sort, whether you, right. right, Whether you, you, yeah asked to be or not, or whether your voice should be heard any more than any other person's who's not on a public figure. Like, yeah, to your point, the reality is that it is, and you have to be, you know, I'm air quoting responsible with that. Right. Like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, and, and the other thing too, is I have very specific and maybe differing views than other management managers, which is totally fine because we're all here. You know, there may be an actor who's just like, no, I just want to act. And that's, you know, whatever. I'm just doing that and I don't need to be responsible for anything. And that's cool too. And then there's a manager who probably shares that and then they're great to go work together. But on my side of things, and, and like I said, it came from the band days. It's like, I'm not, you know, I'm cool for like neutral and above, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not forcing anybody to get up on a soapbox and talk about how they feel about God or not or whatever. But, um, I, I've put in, you know, this has been my life. It will continue to be my life. And I, I want to have, I want to be able to impact things positively at the end of the day. That's why. I want to, I want to get to, um, to three more questions and then go to, uh, to rapid fire here. What is the, um, so first one, what is the, um, uh, underbelly or the not so glamorous part of your job? Uh, let's see. Not so glam. Well, <laughs> I'm so behind the scenes. I don't know that anything is glamorous, <laughs> but, um, or industry job or industry. 
Oh, well, I can comment on the industry for sure. Um, I feel like there, there are quite a few individuals who are in this, um, who are in the representation business that probably shouldn't be. Um, and I'm not talking like super gross stuff. I'm just talking about, you know, I have had comments before of like, oh God, actors are just so freaking crazy. Like that person to me, if they really feel that way, like I can see people just being like, oh, hey, you know, I don't know. Just yeah, venting like a daily vent or something yeah. about, yeah. Saying something like, hey, we're all in the same club. Oh, actors are so great, you know, and not really meaning it. But there are people that mean it. And those are the ones I'm talking about. Um, to me, there's an aspect of that, that um, there's, there's some sort of just disassociation from art and what artists are and how the artist brain works and how the artist spirit feels. Um, because that, there's an, that aspect um, to demean that is almost just sucking the joy out of the entire reason that we're here and why we're doing what we're doing. So. Um, you know, and, and it can come from a moment of an actor wanting to do theater because they need that, which I completely understand. But I feel like there are some reps who are just like, oh, it doesn't make any money. It's not going to progress your career. What the hell are you doing? You know, and really kind of like someone, then the artist is like, uh, okay, <laughs> you know, you're my rep. That's how, what you're telling me. I feel this way. Am I supposed to just shut up and do what, you know, it, there's so much pressure and fear and weirdness that is, I feel in certain ways is inspired by people in the industry toward the actor and uh, proof positive by a lot of the meetings that I've had with actors that I'm looking at working with. And it's, there's a fear. There's like, what do you know? Sometimes like, Ooh, what do I have to say to make sure that they think I'm worthy of, you know, this stuff which I have to kind of, at the beginning, just go, okay, we don't need any like act, battered actor syndrome. It's not okay. It's not cool. I, you know, and the same thing sometimes when I'm meeting with an actor and they say, oh, I have a great agent and I really love them. And, you know, and on my side of things, the immediate follow-up question is how many auditions do they get for you? You know, mm -hmm. because that's, I mean, obviously agents have uh, whatever expanse of jobs they choose to have, but at the core, it's number of auditions. So, you know, and I'll get a response sometimes like, oh, well, you know, they got me three in the last year. And to me, that number is way too low to have any kind of career progress whatsoever. So then it kind of goes, then I'm like, okay, so, but you said you love that. What's the love part? Well, they haven't dropped me and I, you know, um, they'll get back to me within a couple of weeks when I email, I'm like, Oh my God, can we, can we please bring the bar up and, and remove all the scarcity and fear and worry because then we're really living like, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, and, and everyone needs to be accountable for their job, even though it's so hot, sh hot stuff to be, you know, a representative of actors. It's just, again, it's just like the polar opposite. Nobody gave a crap when I was a music manager, as far as that being an actual job. Now it's like the polar opposite and you can get drunk with power. I mean, and it's not okay. Like our, our job is to service the artist and the actor in front of us. 
and be transparent and communicate what's really up. And, you know, and I'm not, here's the other thing. I'm not trying to be all preachy and like, oh, how awesome are we? And blah, blah, blah. But I, like, I feel strongly that the bar needs to come up. It needs to be, you know, we need to be accountable for every single move that we make or that we don't make. And we need to be communicative with our clients. And it's a team, you know, I, I've said it a zillion times, like I'm no one's bitch. <laughs> I can, <laughs> yes. so I opted to not say the S word, but like, <laughs> But, but all you can say shit. Okay, good. Good. Shit. So, um, but I'm just saying like, I, I create this environment in the way that I would want it to be if I were the artist, if I were the actor. So, you know, we work together and we are accountable to each other. And, you know, I have something that the actor does not have. And that's why I would be a part of anything. So that mm-hmm. they do the art part and I can do everything else. And we're very hands-on and we do that. You know, I mean, there are times where it's like, oh, I, you know, my friend sent me this thing and yeah, I'm like, okay, cool. But you're still an actor and you still have to have a bar set and you still have to be managed, even with your friend. Mm-hmm. You know? Sure. If there's, so my- if there's paperwork, it's business. So. I, I just, I really, I feel strongly and I've had a bunch of like agent related kind of epiphanies over the last year or so. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, it's, it's, it is my job to ensure that everyone in the actor's empire that we're building right, uh, does their job. So, but I also have my own job, so it can't just be that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I work with a lot of great agents. I'm not saying that, but it's kind of like we also are contributing to progressing the career. So it just has to be, you know, it has to be a team effort and there needs to be good communication. We need to all be on the same page as to what we're doing. Um, I don't even remember what the question was. Well, you answered it. You answered it was what was kind of the the less glamorous or underbelly part. And it sounds like raising the, um, raising the bar, I mean, on service and expectations and what you as a, you know, I'll call it a client, right. It should expect from the people that you're paying to help manage your career. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's it. It's just transparency and communication because yeah. job is what it is. So like you're either doing that or you're not doing that. And if you're not doing it, you shouldn't be you know, I'll tell you, every actor that we work with, I know what they expect of us. And if we're not doing that, we need to be communicating. Here's what's happening. I know your expectation is this. This is how it's varied a little. I mean, obviously COVID just throw it all sure. out. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. But generally speaking, it's like, I, I the thing that just hurts my soul is knowing that there are actors out there and they have a certain expectation of their reps, their reps are not doing that. And the actor is staying because they think that if they leave, they're not going to have the thing that they need. Like that Options. is so, uh, you know, and, and mm-hmm. reps know what the expectation is. So, yep. so, so that's like, to me, that's, and you know, there's, there's a bunch of the obvious underbelly things that the Me Too movement and the blah, blah, and the diversity and the LGBTQIA plus and all of that. And it's like, you know, there's 
so much weirdness in regard to that. Like, so what I consider just being a, like a good solid human <laughs> that's out the window in regard to all of the marginalized talent. And it's, it's un, it, like, I can't say it's unbelievable because it's so prevalent and obvious and there and it's, things have gotten better, but you know, I, if I'm looking to manage someone, I have a meeting and if I care about them and I can see that they, we want the same things and they're really solid at their craft and continuing to work on their craft, nothing else matters. So it's like, you know, and then, and being a bit more specific, sorry, but white people are always going to be cast in things. There's never going to be a time where it's like, oh no, we only, there's no more white people. We just want, you know, so it's like now things are starting to balance out and it is so necessary. And, you know, in the, in the area of like maneuvering and navigating this to get, you know, the pendulum always swing, you know, the pendulum goes, bam. And then it goes, bam, and then it goes, bing, 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 bing. And hopefully when it, when things settle, we have an actual true equality, like a real one. And we have it monetarily and we have it human wise. And we just are able to like perpetuate this entire artistic endeavor that we're doing as a human race in a way that is fully representative of all of the people that are involved in the human race. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm, I, I see it. I feel you. I can feel your energy about it, like jumping through the screen. And I just think it's so fan. No, no, I'm serious. But I just think it's so fantastic. That, that is um, not only your perspective, but just that um, you're, you're, you're living, like you're living your truth around it and trying to drive and operate your business like true to how you are and not necessarily always being responsive to what the industry is. I think that that alone is, um, you know, worth patting yourself on the back for, right. And worth recognizing. So, um, what is, if I'm, if you're giving yourself, so two more questions and, um, what would you give, what advice would you give your, you know, in, in a couple of sentences so that it can really like strike home with our audience. What advice would you give your younger self? That's um, you know, it's funny because I've thought about this before because I was like, ooh, what if somebody asked me to contribute to one of those books where they're like, you're older now, what would you have said? And, you know, like each person gets a page of the book or whatever. Um, what are your two sentences on the page? Uh, I think, I mean, maybe one of them would be just, it's so, it's so like, I think this is the problem that I've had with this before, because it's like the things that I would say, and it's very specifically, like you look back on your life and you go, okay, well, if I had applied this, then I maybe wouldn't have experienced so, you know, a a darker time or, or something that was, but it also feels very kind of weirdly preachy because I wouldn't expect someone to hear that sentence and go, aha, you know, like, Ooh, I'm going to do that now. But I can just, I I mean, based on anything that I experienced in my, in my younger years that if I would have applied would have made things better. Just don't allow anyone to make you feel less than you actually are. And it's so 
general and like la la la, but it's true. Like the moments that I look back and I go, oh, I kind of took a weird course at that point, or I spent some time doubting myself, which was just totally pointless because obviously that doesn't accomplish anything. Um, you know, it's kind of know thyself and all the things that have traveled down through the trillions of years, if you want, I don't know. But like, you know, it's kind of like those, those were the moments where, you know, allowing something that plants a seed of self-doubt and then you start doing things differently than you would have otherwise. Um, yeah, like, like leaving school and going and hanging out with my real dad in San Francisco, that is not something that I should have done. And it, it's kind of like I allowed myself to come to a place where it was somebody else's ideas or thoughts about how things should maybe be or, you know, and even societally, like, oh, no, I need to have, it's very important that I allow my real father to kind of mend fences and do that whole thing. And in a way I see that that is true, but also I could have stayed in school. I could have finished, you know? Well, well, yeah. I mean, I think what you're saying has, and that, that that's your obviously personal example, which resonates totally, but what you're saying has, um, I, I believe from just my own personal experience and talking with just friends and, and humans that yeah. what you're saying is, so true. And that I think, I don't know if it is that you learn it only by like not listening to yourself and listening to kind of outside influences. And then you're like, well, fuck, that didn't make me happy. So now I, let me just listen to at least like if I fall, I fall on my own sword kind of thing. Um, But I think what you're saying makes total sense and will resonate with a lot of people because it's, I mean, what you're really talking about is at any point living your authentic being your authentic self, right? And honoring what you believe to be real and true to yourself versus outside expectations of you. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and there, there's just a lot in there too, because you have to continue. I mean, I, on a daily basis, I'm continuing to understand myself more and, and what I can contribute and what I need to work on to be stronger in areas that I can contribute more. But I mean, obviously with everything that I've said here, it's kind of like, I decided a long time ago that what I'm passionate about and what I want to contribute to, it really has to do with being in the service of others Mm -hmm. and not to the detriment of service to myself and like keeping my service to myself. Um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but just that, those, those moments of, you know, I still need to read and, and experience and have things that are just very much my own. So I'm continuing to be happy and filled with joy based on just me, myself and I, but it is that, um, that continuing, you know, and I, I think that concept needs to be more prevalent in everyone because being in service to others doesn't mean that you're neglecting yourself or that you're, you're so martyrdom selfless that nothing else matters. It's like, if you can, I mean, to me, that's like a really solid husband and wife relationship. That's like, if you are being in service to the other person and every, you know, you're being, anyway, it's, it's, it's kind of what I think could be a big, (laughs) a big change in the world is if more people had that perspective and, 
able to have empathy, even in what they would consider to be the worst scenarios ever. Like this person hates babies. <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> you know, like the nth degree of like, what? How? Yep. But being able to consistently practice empathy, actively put yourself in somebody else's shoes, see what that means. And, ha- you know, admire admire other people for exactly who they are and what they have going on. I feel like we could be such as, you know, as a human race that we are, that alone could just make such a huge difference. And I think it's just so, it's just unbelievably important. And I've learned, you know, that's another thing, I guess, you know, that could be my second sentence. That could be my second novella to add to (laughs) what we're talking about. But, you know, it's, it's just, kindness, joy, all of those things. And, and it's not just have it, it's like work on it. Like mm-hmm. every, do a little bit more, a little bit more kindness to people, a little bit more finding the joy in something rather than just the, you know, mm-hmm. uh, have to do that thing. Yeah. But it, it's going somewhere. It's leading somewhere. So I love that as a, as a blueprint. It's a solid blueprint. What in your, my last question that I'm going to, to rapid fire, which is unrelated to anything that we talked about. Okay. My last question in one sentence, how do you define success? Success to me is waking up every day and loving what you get to do. Truly. I love that. I love that. Clean, simple, and easy for anyone to understand. Yeah. And hopefully, obviously that leads to, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, Yeah. So, I mean, the money part is good because it allows you the time and energy to do things that you want to do more of them, et cetera. There are people who have very like hardcore, I want to buy this, I want to buy that. Hopefully it's something that gives them joy and actually help, you know, help. I mean, I know I've experienced it. You buy a cool pair of shoes, they feel good. You like them feel, you you know, there's an energy that goes along with that, that brings a bit of happiness or whatever it brings to you. Um, you know, on the flip side of that, on my side, um, on my side of things, um, what I found is it's just money and all that. It's an energy. It's like, it flows in, it flows out. It Mm -hmm. can bring stuff along with it. Really positive. Um, I've never, just in my pursuit, I've never wanted money as the thing. You know, I wanted the experience. I wanted to be helping people and all of that. And, you know, it's the motivation is, is, has never been money for me, but I completely get the, like what that can do. Like the, again, like it's, Money in a way for some people is almost like art to others. It's like it creates an emotional impact. You know? <laughs> so, so, um, anyway, I, I yeah, that's, it, it, it being the byproduct is not a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of what you love. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. What, um, so I'm going to go into, um, actually before I do rapid fire, what is the best way for uh, people to get in touch with you? Okay. Um, well, we have Instagram, which is um, at ATN Empire. So messages there, et cetera. Um, I like it. It's boss-like. Empire. Good for you. Boss-like. Um, and 
let's see. I mean, we have, you know, we have an email address for anyone who wants to submit their stuff, which is submissions, plural, at apnentertainment.com. Um, yeah, I mean, both of those will get to me. So, okay. you know, or yeah, me and the company, of course. Okay, perfect. Um, so I'm going to go into rapid fire. These are unrelated to what we talked about. Maybe five or six questions, just first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Uh, brick or stone? Oh, sorry. I didn't really take to heart the nothing to do with what we were talking about. <laughs> so, um, stone, I think. Netflix or Hulu? Netflix. Uh, sun or moon? Moon. Astronaut or deep sea diver? Deep sea diver. Ryan Reynolds or George Clooney? Oh, I ha- I'm not choosing one. I'm saying both for very different reasons, but I can't choose between them. They're both. <laughs> uh, Emma Thompson or Meryl Streep? Meryl Streep. Pearl Jam or Nirvana? How can you do that one? That's like, that's like even worse than the Ryan Reynolds Clooney thing. Oh, gosh. I, I really can't. I love both of them so much. I can't even express. So I can't. Can't do it. Can't do it. Okay. Last one. Metallica or Guns N' Roses? Metallica. Really? Metallica? Okay. Yeah. Kidding. I gotta say the Guns N' Roses thing has just morphed into just a whole slew of whatevers and Metallica is just solid. I mean, That's fair. That's fair. But if I'm taking an, an island record, I think use your, use your illusion too is on my desert. Okay. Yeah. yeah. See, also, I came like, you know, I was in my own band obviously, but then I did the showcase South by Southwest. So my favorite band of all time is a band called Frightened Rabbit. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's, it's very, it's very widespread, but yeah, I kind of, you know, when, when a lot of my friends were kind of into the hair bands and hair metal and all of that stuff, I was Stevie Wonder, like yeah. I was like, on that side of things, a bit Prince, and you know, like all of that. So I kind of, I kind of came into all of the like, even Metallica, like all of that after, you know, like I heard what they did before rather than experiencing it as it was going. So yeah, yeah, I kind of have. I mean, the majority of my friends, though, girls were always. Just, I mean, they were like all. We're talking like Skid Row. <laughs> I never went there. I was oh. always. I will say this, though. I saw Stevie Wonder in concert, and he was like, uh, I mean, it was, it was amazing. It was one of the best concerts that I've ever seen, and I'm mad at myself that I didn't see Prince. I saw Michael Jackson, but I didn't see Prince, and I should have. When he- and see, me coming from the music business, it's amazing the number of, of live shows that I have not seen. Like, yeah. I saw Billy Idol twice. Those were my two first concerts. I was in 87 in San Francisco when I was there. And I've seen so few. I mean, I haven't seen Stevie. I didn't see Prince. I haven't seen Michael. I, I mean, I didn't see Michael. They're just like a ton. My parents are really trying to get me into it too. They're like Elton John, Rolling Stones, da, da, da. like I'm, yeah, Eagles. I mean, all of these I really want to see before they are just not performing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, before we get out of here, anything else that you want to add before I wind us down? There was actually one thing that I thought of that I wanted to say, but um, might have to do this again. Some. Um, um, no, I, I think, I think the main thing is, is, 
you know, a lot of the, a lot of the things that we all know should be in place just in life really need to start being in place in the industry because at the end of the day, we are all the gatekeepers of what's going to be able to be available to the rest of <laughs> the rest of us to allow some resonating moments, to allow some emotion to come in, to allow all of the stuff. And it's really, you know, our whole industry is supposed to be in the service of the artists. So, you know, these are, these are broad statements, but I feel like it's, it's so important just everyone to just, you know, know their truth, operate in it as much as possible on a daily basis and love what we do. I mean, we're luckier than shit to be able to do what we get to do. I love that. I love that. That's an excellent note to close on. That is fantastic. Thank you so much for doing this. I really enjoyed talking with you. This was wonderful. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I had a, I had a great time. So Absolutely. thank you. Awesome. Enjoy your, uh, your West Coast weather there. I'm on the East Coast, so we're a little colder here. <laughs> it's actually been pretty cold here, surprisingly. But yes, I will. Okay. In, Thank you, Jen. for both of us. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. This is the Lauren Asgari podcast, How'd Her Career Get There? And again, my guest is Jennifer Ariane DeRay. So thank you again. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Let's talk a bunch of different topics. How'd her career get there? This is a podcast with Lauren Asgari.